and just someone who have high energy because that high energy is infectious. There's no such thing as a low energy community builder. So that's hot tip. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Growing Web Three, a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, metaverse, and play to earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James RT, and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss growing Web3. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Growing Web3. Today I'm here with Peter Pan who summoned MetaCartel DAO, also summoned VentureDAO. He's been involved in growing Web3 communities since the very early days and is now an investor at 1KX. Great to have you with us, Peter. Yeah, glad to be here. So yeah, today I thought we could really dig into Web3 communities and what makes them special. You've obviously been driving a lot of growth. You wrote an awesome piece on decentralized communities and how to grow them which I thought was really cool. You kind of laid out the structure for how decentralized communities are and the important things that help them grow. So yeah, I kind of like to just kick off by chatting about what makes Web3 communities special to you. Why were you like drawn to them? I think the key difference of Web2 is that in Web2, you built companies that completely owned the production of a service product or network or you know the coordination of a network. And in return, they got to monetize and value extract as much as they wanted. Web3, there's this idea that you're able to produce a better product, service, or network by you know, more openly incentivizing participants into a network as opposed to just centrally coordinating that from a top-down perspective. And by doing this, you're able to attract countries more meritocratically and thus perhaps you know, build a better outcome, right? So I think it's all about building better outcomes. And in order to do that, you actually need network participants or the best network participants or the best network contributors, right? So the difference here is that you're actually trying to build a community of targeted stakeholders to then participate in the network's goals. That's really the key focus and participation and network ownership uh, and not only, you know, economic ownership, but community ownership, you know, sort of becomes much more important, right? So these become your, you know, bottom of the funnel goals as opposed to purely just like bottom line revenue, which would be in a Web2 growth funnel. Only once, I guess, you aggregate the best contributors, the best network participants, and you show that you fairly reward the best ones, do more come, and only then do you produce a better product and outcome. Yeah, DAOs are like the ultimate coordination mechanism when done well. I think it's pretty hard to do DAOs well. I know you've like been in the thick of, like I don't know how many DAOs, but I remember someone tweeting something that said, like, if you join a DAO and Peter's like not part of it, then it's probably not worth joining. This was like a year ago or something when I think you were in like 50 DAOs or something like that. That was a long time ago. 
when there were too many DAOs. DAOs are pretty hard. You know, it's like the Bruce Lee quote, right? Like water can crash and it can flow. It's the same of decentralized coordination. Most people and most communities just try to force it and you know, force decentralized coordination when communities are not ready, when timing's not right, and you know, or even to things that are very hard to decentralize upfront, right? So, so I think there was a period where just back in 2019 to end of early 2020, it was like it felt like most of crypto was just watching a very small microcosm of the space experiment of DAOs, seeing what's possible, seeing what is what was feasible one step at a time. And I think, you know, once the space got a sense of what made sense, you know, people just took and ran with it and everyone really started experimenting on mass. I think DAOs, like, they take a little bit of time to click in people's heads, right? Like for me, I remember we spoke about it a few years ago and I was always talking about DeFi. I think you're like, no, 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 DAOs are the future. And I was like, okay. And like, I had a lot of conversations like that where I was like, no, DeFi is the future. And people were like, no, 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 DAOs, DAOs will... There'll be everything. DeFi is just a, a part of that, like a subset. The thing that made it click for me is someone said like, yeah, DAOs are just power, like votes are power, right? And money is power, everything is power. And like, if DAOs are decentralizing power, then that's the most important thing we can do. So yeah, I think that's what kind of made it click for me, that DAOs are like the, yeah, the way to coordinate this power, to coordinate this, whatever, whatever it is, resources, but yeah, was there like a moment for you where DAOs kind of clicked? When did you first get like that bug to be involved in so many? On my side, maybe a bit less romantic. It's pretty funny. I've had been on panels where like people were like, what got you excited by DAOs? And then people are like, I believe in the future of humanity. You know, they give like, it's like very beautiful, very articulate speeches. And I was just like, I just sort of wanted to coordinate money to put together, you know, for the purpose of grants. So back in late 18, Metacartel was a, you know, more of a community around UX infrastructure. You know, we solved some problems as a technical working group. And I just realized that, you know, most of the uh, infrastructure was mostly built. Well, like uh, basically the observation I made was like, we're at the end of the infrastructure cycle. We're, you know, we're ready to build applications and, and, and no one was building this. So we tried to get a DAP incubator off the ground. No, no track record, no, no experience. So like couldn't get, couldn't find any funding, didn't even know how to fundraise. And then I saw, I guess, you know, Malik DAO, you know, really the first DAO that really emerged after the DAO hack and that dished out grants and it worked from day one. Like I was like, because back then DAOs were highly theoretical. Everyone's like overthinking it and then no one was executing. And I was like, wait, that works. I want to join it. Try to join. The pledge amount was 100 ETH back then. I was pretty poor back then. Honestly, it was just like I had 20 ETH. I pledged half my ETH to like join this charity organization and also plan to pledge my own time. And they were like, no, you're not wealthy enough and you're not, you don't have a good enough reputation. So I was like, you know, as a joke, you know, Amin was like, why don't you like fork it? And I did. And I forked it to coordinate funding to fund application layer grants. And I just wanted to do that. I no other aspirations, uh, <laughs> you know, but I think slowly as we operated the grants now, we realized that there's so much to DAOs that haven't been explored yet. And we were not only building DAP experiments and just like, it's funny you call them dApps, but it's just like, you know, the applications now. But back then it was like a very small, it was like a niche of crypto, you know, end user applications, like who would have known? I remember Wizard of Dapps. That's right. That was your your podcast, super early on in the dApp cycle. Yeah, I had a podcast. I had a newsletter. Every Sunday I would look at a dApp radar and, you know, state of the dApps and go through every new list of dApps and, and write about them every Sunday. 
did that for almost like a year. The Words of Dabs podcast every week for over a year as well, just interviewing the end user applications that actually had users. And we talked to different founders and teams figuring out like, why did users use you? You know, what made you special? You know, uh, and so on. And we actually sort of started running out of podcast candidates at like episode 15 or something. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, yeah, during that time, I was like trying to help companies grow or like projects grow. So often asking the same questions, like we've got 50 users. That's epic. Like <laughs> let's literally try and talk to them because we need to know why they're using this. How have they managed to figure out like, you know, the UX difficulties that used to exist, like things are in a much better position now. I think just going to back to your, the post you wrote on the growing decentralized communities. I think one thing which was super powerful for me was like, you took the marketing, like the standard digital marketing funnel, which is like awareness, activation. Then you talked about like, you know, what's like the key metric in DAOs. And I think one metric, which I think really stood out, which was really awesome. is like this time to contribution or like this, how many people have like joined your discord or joined your community and then actually contributed as a metric. I think that's something super powerful. Go for it. I would describe that as a coordination metric. My think it's sort of definitely become clearer since I've written that post. And I would say that all DAOs, the, the top line metric should be around building a better product service or network. That That is the bottom line. That's what should matter. And that is what will enable these Web3 networks to compete against Web2 ones and, and you know, create better, fairer systems, right? So I, I don't think we can ever let go of like actual business goals, right? I, I think that the difference is that, you know, we have those goals, but how we get there is ultimately very, very different, right? It's through ownership. And and then that's where like time to contribution fits into it. And and less so how much contribution, I think what matters less is actually how involved people are and, and more so the output of an organization, how, you know, resourceful it is, how effective, how efficient it is. No, that's a really interesting way of thinking of it. Because yeah, I think right now people launch DAOs with a mission, but often their missions aren't really long-term aligned with potentially, you know, creating a successful business or a successful product or service, which I think, yeah, should always be the end goal. That's a really interesting way to think about it. We've seen a lot of DAOs grow pretty quickly, like some overnight, like a constitution DAO. I think that was like two weeks to coordinate on like one specific problem. And then we see a lot of DAOs that, as you said, like they have a more of a long-term goal to support a product or service. I was going to try and dig into what do you think are some of like the challenges around growing a DAO in like this current landscape, which is, well, attention is pretty scarce at the moment. I think that's for sure. Generally speaking, people have too big of a scope or expecting too much of the DAOs. So basically you can build up an, a DAO without actually having a DAO, like surprise. You know, they're just organizations. You know, generally speaking, DAOs uh, work better the smaller the scope like they have, the smaller and more focused the scope is. It's harder to coordinate the larger the scope because the DAOs so far have just like been pretty monolithic. They look more like businesses on the blockchain that aim to do everything. And that's sort of where I think sub-DAOs come through. Like, you know, you, you create units that allocate resources amongst internally, autonomously, and they're given sort of sub-goals of an overarching network. So, you know, most token networks are really just, you know, marketplaces, right? Supply and demand. And then you have like, you know, this ability of like, how do you allocate resources that drive 
supply and demand. That's like the meta meta resource allocation aspect. And and then you know, so you can think of these as free components, right? Interchangeable, even. And most people just think like you can create one DAO that does all free focus, like it takes several free focuses. When reality, you know, that you sort of need to approach network coordination from a like a microservices perspective, where you're you know allowing for competition towards the goals of a network and not just you know dedicating a single marketing team or a single initial effort in order to drive demand right you want to really fund all the best ideas and initiatives and i think this is the only way to achieve this is by having a very open mandate to what is uh, recognized as a as a contribution towards the network's goals either with supply and demand right so like the set ecosystem or index co-op ecosystem is that index co-op is like you know arguably a sub-DAO of uh, set protocol. Uh, set protocol is just infrastructure that they're providing and you know they want to grow TVL and, and index wants to generate fees by using sets infrastructure, right? And they would be considered a supply side DAO, but you know, they're thinking, what about a, a demand side DAO, right? So think of Uber. They have a driver team, customer team, same idea, right? So there's a sort of like microservices, micro DAO, you know, sort of sub-DAO network architectures that's sort of emerging. And I think there's this question to what DAO should you be building first as well? I mean, we can look at the DAOs out there, right? So, you know, most teams in DeFi, the t- archetypical story is like that you build something useful as a centralized team, you, you get users, do a retroactive token distribution, set up incentives, and then, all right, let's get this DAO thing to do everything the core team did, as well as be successful in both creating demand, generating liquidity, supply, right? Like in supply. And allocating resources effectively to do all three. Like, yeah, good, good, good luck, right? So, and then expecting that organizations emerge from absolutely zero momentum, right? So you have a lot of momentum, won't you decentralize and that have absolutely no momentum. It's like something's a bit broken here, right? So the idea is like, you arguably should actually be looking to bootstrap DAOs purely focused on either supply or demand first. And then once you have that momentum there, an actual community contributors in a community run organization, then look to uh, launch the meta resource allocation DAO afterwards, right? Like larger overarching meta DAOs, right? Like resource allocation DAOs could even share ownership over sub DAOs as well. They have this like horizontally like mobility and integration ability across this ecosystem, right? So might even be multiple DAOs combining to launch like a biz dev, you know, task force, right? Or a decentralized customer support group, right? And many other, you know, sort of task forces or sub DAOs, et cetera, right? Yeah, I think there's like a lot of business people on Twitter who are like jumping onto the DAO trend and, you know, trying to bring in all these like old school business processes, which they're just like, why don't we create like mini teams for this and this and this? And it's like, yeah, it's not really how it is. You have to first think of the bigger picture, I think. And then another thing which a lot of people find difficult with DAOs is how do you incentivize everyone effectively? Like, I think that's a... that's like a jump I'm seeing with like fairly new people to the space coming in. They like join a DAO or they join a Discord that, you know, has a DAO element and it's a bit overwhelming for them. It's like there's so much information, there's so much happening. Maybe they, they contribute something somewhere, but then they don't really see themselves in like the wider structure or don't really understand. So I was wondering if you have any groups, DAOs, communities you would recommend for like new people to the space to just jump into, explore, ask some questions? For different people, I would say if you're a student, I'm in university or high school, 
go check out Padawan Jail, you know, the community focused on onboarding, you know, students into the space and the funding students to go to, you know, different real life crypto events. There's, you know, Metagamma Delta, a community focused on, you know, promoting women-led projects in space, onboarding women from just like complete zero to, I guess, web free hero. <laughs> Aside from these small, like, you know, focused communities, I would say Gitcoin Kernel is a great place to go as well. I would say Raid Guild, that's a DAO-run developer agency. They also run boot camps and bringing Web2 professionals into Web3. Most communities, that it's hard to say because they're in different states of, uh, of flux, you know, in terms of like what contributors they need and how much capacity they have to receive new contributors as well. But I would say these communities would be a great place to initially look. Awesome. Yeah, they're super cool. Also, one more thing. Probably check out Codeless Conduct. You know, it's a hackathon where running a hackathon series of running with 1KX, where it's a hackathon purely focused on non-technical contributions to the space. It's focused on governance participants, in designers, product people, you know, marketers, communications, business development, token design, anything that doesn't require writing a line of code, you know. That's awesome. That's really, really awesome. Yeah, I think that's also like a kind of worry for a lot of people getting to the space. They know it's highly technical and they jump in, they see all these, you know, all this jargon being thrown around. They're a little bit worried. There's so much space for non-technical people and maybe the learning curve is a little bit steeper. Yeah, I mean, for technical people, hackathons seem to be the most effective way for them to get stuck in and start to understand the space, make connections. So knowing that there's a a hackathon style event for non-technical people is really, really awesome. Really, really cool kind of overlapping question what we spoke about previously like the challenges around DAOs like what advice would you give to new founders I know you already mentioned like you have to keep scope specific when you're launching a DAO but yeah for new founders launching DAOs do you have any like go-to advice that you provide to your portfolio to friends to people jumping in I would say focus on figure out how you can build a community that's involved in the process of the project or network that you're building from day one or day zero, the more, you know, closely involved community members are and the easier it will be to decentralize. And surprisingly, just shocking number of founders don't really care about community. Like we talk about community, but most founders don't care. So if you care and you're willing to put your time where your mouth is, you're going to do relatively well, even if you don't know what you're doing. It's a rock, paper, scissors sort of trade-off. Do you have any tips for founders i think this is the most common question after like where do i get a solidity developer it's like where do i get a community builder how do i find one and i always kind of say try and just like bootstrap your community with your team and then if there are some interesting people that joining your community and getting involved just try and hire them like that makes most sense right but do you have any advice on how to go about finding community managers community kind of moderators or just, yeah, people that can be more involved in a community. I think as founders, you have to be your own community builder. You're the first community builder of the project, right? It's going to be very hard for you to bring someone else better on if you are unable to bring people on yourself. You can hope for a magical unicorn to fall out of the sky, of course, right? And let's say you have a heavy technical background. You're still going to need to then recruit, you know, uh, someone into your team, right? Like to, to lead these efforts. So even if your background isn't or skills aren't inclined in this area, I think you have to foster a culture of caring about the community. I've seen plenty of technical founders who 
have never done community development. They suck at it, but they care deeply. It shows, and, and other people can tell as well. So I would say do what you can. Try your best, but you know it's not going to solve itself. And in terms of how you bring on community manager, you know, apart from looking for one, right? You know, community management is one of those roles where, you know, having experience in it is, you know, less important as just finding someone that can execute the needs of a community and having someone in that role, which deeply understand the the mission, the culture, the values, and someone who's able to just like willing to sacrifice and hustle for that like vision, right? And and just someone who have high energy because that, you know, high energy is infectious. There's no such thing as a low energy community builder. So that's a hot tip. <laughs> that's one thing which is super important in Web3 in general is like high energy. People who like hunt out knowledge will find it and they'll do so well. And I mean, I've seen so many people grow so fast just by asking questions and being active. And then, yeah, I was going to say another thing I quite like is that people who just get memes, just get the meta of what's going on in the space. I think that's kind of hard to define in people. But there are some people you just like, damn, this person just gets it. Like, that's so cool. They just get what's funny and what's the trend. And they like weave that like into their own style of like community management. I'm trying to think of some communities who have builders like that. I remember the Ribbon Finance community was pretty fun early on. I think the founders were running that as well, but it was quite a fun one. But yeah, there's so many. I was wondering who are like your favorite kind of community builders in the space at the moment. I actually created a list of nearly 50 people. Oh, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Give them all NFTs. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to share that at the end of this episode. Building community is so hard. There's so many different aspects in which people are really doing really well. That was the emergence of that list. It was like, you know, how good is someone as a community builder, right? How much do I appreciate the work? It's got nothing to do with, you know, the tweets, the followers, and absolutely nothing to do with that. It's to do with like the quality of work that they've produced. And it's not to say that if you're not on the list, you're not doing quality work. It's just that they've risen above, right? They've done notable work. And I would say that there's different aspects of uh, community building, like this bootstrapping, kickstarting communities, like the, the you know, explorer role, right? Something sets out into the unknown and sets something up very new and bootstraps that creates momentum, creates energy, you know, creates something from nothing. And then there's people, you know, community builders that are the settlers, the town settlers that basically, you know, help run a large scale community that makes everything run on time, coordinates all the processes. They know how to operate and they're you know, highly operationally rigorous. Then there's town planners, right? Which are, you know, folks, community builders that, uh, you know, figure out and, and think more about how to architect the community in a way that it succeeds, right? They're like, you know, thinking from a 10,000 foot angle. And there's a lot of people that do different aspects really well. And then, you know, I, I had a different tier, which was like the S tier, the summoner tier, which was like, just like, you know, more recognition for achieving, you know, highly, highly, you know, sort of outlier, you know, uh, outlier goals or, or achievements. And on any given day, you might be a terrible uh, community builder or great community builder, honestly, you know, like performance with an athlete, it varies, right? But what matters, I think, is just like having achieved outcomes that have like that have real impact. That's, I think, you know, how, how every community builder should be measured by. It's hard to say, but, you know, there's a list out there called House of Summers that I've posted that gives that 50 list. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure to share that in the notes for everyone. Super cool. So just like a couple kind of 
random questions. Right now, if you could like join any protocol and you would be their like head of community CMO type role, which one would it be? Or project, game, I don't know. Is there anyone you would like be like, sweet, I'd definitely work for them? I've complete ADHD, so I'm I'm of like of the different community builder archetypes. I'm of the explorer where I'm like I'm able to just like bootstrap things, but like I've I, then I bring others into like run the community. That's sort of been my pattern of operation. Uh, so it lends myself better to like more overarching ecosystem role. I would say that I might even have too much ADHD for community builder for a very good like head of community. Um, not so focused here, distracted by too many things. That's why I'm like investing and, and heavily enjoying that. Definitely say if I had to join, I'll definitely be working on Axie Infinity, community governance specifically, because that's a massive problem around coordinating all the aspects of the Axie ecosystem and setting up sound governance that's got to do with like setting up political parties, setting up more established community institutions and coordinating that and, and, and then many more. So I would probably definitely work on, I would say Axie is probably the most complicated and hardest coordination challenge you'll find in Web3 to date. No other community or ecosystem is is of a greater challenge than Axie Infinity. And, and it will be the case for the next at least two years, I believe. That's super cool. Yeah, I think we can close it off there. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. That was awesome. Yeah, looking forward to keeping up. If people uh, want to follow you, keep up with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter usually is great. Tweeting at me is actually much better than DMing me, surprisingly, these days. It frightens me to go in there nowadays. So much like backlog of things I need to get to. And then if you can figure out where my Telegram is, Telegram is where I'm on 24-7. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really great to chat. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web 3. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hypepartners forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening again and be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web 3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web 3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web 3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.